Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams. And today on the show, we're going to talk about something that we really haven't covered much, and that is something called agroecology. Actually, we've never covered agroecology before. Um, And our guest today is Evan Marks. He is from a place in California called the Ecology Center. And at the Ecology Center, they are basically trying to redefine our relationship with food and our relationship with the environment, which I think is phenomenal. So agroecology is basically combining the science of agriculture with the methodologies of ecology and caring for the environment. And Evan has a, a great background in ecology. He's worked in um, Mexico, Costa Rica, Nigeria, Hawaii, and now in California. And we're going to get a lot of his insights into what ecology is, um, how that kind of plays a role into regenerative agriculture, and how we can grow food while also minimizing our impact on the environment. And I mean, it, so if you check out their website, it's just theecologycenter.org. They've got a lot of phenomenal content that they do. Um, like, for example, they've got harvest boxes, which are, you know, produce boxes of stuff that's grown on the farm. They also have a bunch of farm tours. They have internships. And basically, they're trying to show more and more people locally where their food comes from and how everybody can have an impact and grow their own food. So I think this is super cool. I think this was an awesome interview. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Had a great time chatting with Evan about, you know, about how agroecology can be the future and how regenerative agriculture can be the future of how our food is grown. So be sure to check them out. It is theecologycenter.org and um, follow the link in the description and you can go to our social media platforms on Instagram and Facebook where you will also find the Ecology Center on those social media channels. So thank you so much again for listening. This is episode 123 with Evan Marks from the Ecology Center. Thanks so much for listening and hope you enjoy it. 
All right. Well, Evan Marks, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. How are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you are in charge of a really huge organic certified farm called the Ecology Center. And it seems like you've got an awesome background kind of in in um, regenerative farming, permaculture, and all that stuff. So give us a little bit of a rundown about your background and how you wound up with the Ecology Center. Yeah. Um, I mean, it really started over 20 years ago. So if you want me to go that far back. Yeah, go uh, for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could even before that, you know, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up, so I grew up in Orange County, um, really Newport Beach, Southern California. I'm a surfer, started surfing when I was really young. And by the time I was a teenager, I guess I opened up my eyes and started looking around me and, and that led me to picking up beach, uh, trash on the beach and just getting more engaged in kind of the health of our oceans. Um, and I learned a lot on that journey with the Surfrider Foundation. Um, I took a class in high school, marine biology, did water testing okay. and started volunteering with the, with the organization. And, and then, uh, part of the journey for me was, was the, the statistic that agriculture was the number one negative impact on our, on our oceans and our environment. Um, and I, I guess that's kind of stopped me in my tracks when I was a teenager, uh, believe it or not. And it just. That kind of didn't understand that, you know, we were kind of living in a bubble and honestly, I still kind of do, but nonetheless, like getting into greater awareness of, of how we, um, interact with this, uh, with the people and the place that we live within and, and how it can have a negative impact, um, really, I guess, changed my life for, for the benefit. Um, and I followed that path through into, uh, university. I went to UC Santa Cruz. Um, and studied agroecology, and really the, the with the the, the the thesis of can can we change that statistic? Can we grow food in harmony with nature um, and nourish the people and and have fun doing mm-hmm. it? So that's that was kind of the the jumping off point for me, and and it's taken me all over the world. Um, and. I guess on that journey of, of spending about seven or eight years internationally putting that agroecology, that permaculture design uh, work to, to practice, um, designing farms, communities, teaching courses, really just exploring what all of that meant out of the academic uh, landscape. I learned, to, I learned so much. And on that journey, I, I learned uh, for me, um, you know, the, when we commit and we invest deeply into a, into land and a community, like there's so many, so many rewards and so many benefits come from that. Uh, and so I found myself in West Africa, really, with some of these realizations and conversations, kind of like almost as a teenager, like the light bulb going off, going, OK, cool. Well, I, am I investing in, in, in Nigeria? You know, that's where I was at the time. And I, I guess authentically, I was a no. Um, and I love the professional experience of being in Latin America and Africa, but at the end of the day, like I was at a point in my life and this was 12 years ago where I was ready to invest, uh, my energies into making an impact in a community that was authentic to me, which was, um, probably the least likely place of orange County, California. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, here the statistics are, uh, you know, the stereotypes are, you know, not, not. They're accurate and not accurate all at the same time, but, you know, consumerism, cul-de-sacs, uh, you know, all of the things of pop culture uh, do orient in this geography. And, you know, my mission uh, and still is, was, is to, you know, transcend that culture 
to one that doesn't just consume and take, but also gives in the opposite that gives more than it takes and, and it creates a regenerative and transformation uh, within this crazy place. That's awesome. So it sounds like you've got an awesome background from all the traveling and all the work you've done. What what did agroecology look like in all of those different countries that you were at? And then how did you bring the back what you learned in those areas to, to Orange County? You know, agroecology, I mean, farming is, you know, and growing food is, it looks different everywhere. And that's kind of the, you know, the, the curious, it will always find value in a farmer's market and a visit to some new place because the way that people grow food, which is seeking relationship and harmony with the land and, and, and deeper purpose, which is agroecology is going to, is, is always changing, you know, in, in Latin America, I, I spent most of my time in Costa Rica and most of that time in, in the Southern Pacific side of Costa Rica, which is the, 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 the geography there is a tropical rainforest. You know, the mm. Corcovado National Park is was the boundary of the farm that I designed and ran. And so you can kind of get a sense of what the agroecology could look like by looking at nature and then starting to look at the people that live there in relationship to nature and agriculture and, and start to pull those, those healthy strains out. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of it's tree-based, you know, and as we go towards you know, these, these tropical environments, it's, it's emulating nature and, and it's growing food in, in an agroforestry um, setting. And so, um, you know, very different when I was in West Africa, you know, it wasn't a tropical rainforest. It was sort of, a, um, you know, there was obviously a rainy season and there was a dry season. And by and large, like the, the culture over thousands of years has adapted towards one of more almost like milpa, like traditional, like Mexico, corn, beans and squash. But in Africa, and I, I wish I knew the name for their milpa, which everyone had, which were these big, beautiful mounds that were about four or five feet wide and about three or four feet high of, of, for their yam. And then they had all of their vegetables and herbs on the mound, um, partially for flood, partially, for, you know, it's really all of their sustenance and, and, and diversity, stability, resilience altogether. So it looks different always everywhere, but um, I am continuously fascinated to this day to how people grow food and, and, and ultimately what works in relationship to the, to the world around them. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, it sounds like operations like that and like agroecology are more about kind of interworking with nature instead of what we have here. And I guess in more developed countries, but that's really just like monoculture where you just grow one, one crop over and over and over again and kind of decimate the soil. Um, so that, that's super fascinating. I've never really studied agroecology, but the more I learn about it, the more fascinating I find it, because I think as we continue to grow and more and more people are trying to pay attention to where their food comes from and how we interact with the land, it seems like this is going to be a great tool to use. Absolutely. You know, and, and it starts with design, you know, how do we consciously design our farms and our, and our communities, you know, and, and there's, there's clearly a, these words, there's, there's these very general terms, agroecology, permaculture, regenerative uh, agriculture, they're all, um, you know, they're all dancing around each other. And so it's more about the, the substance of the conversation that we're having rather than the definition, you know, but in general, mm -hmm. the, you know, all of these things, we let's start with consciously designing the, the human settlement. And that's, of course, we're talking about agriculture today. Um, and that starts with observation that starts with understanding of natural history and the, the general flow of wind and water and, and wildlife and various soil types. And, and so that's where we often 
get to start when we're starting to think about this stuff. And of course, then there's culture and how that integrates with tradition and, um, and, you know, the, you know, so, so, so there's, you know, there's so much, there's so much, um, so much exploration that we can continue to think about um, outside of, again, the, you know, from the, the, from the monoculture to the polyculture and the polyculture I'm defining is not just about diversity, but it's about how we think about how we think and grow um, and, and celebrate uh, all of the culture. I like it. So tell us about the ecology center. What, when did you start it? What's that whole process been like? Because I mean, uh, I've been reading up on it and you you guys offer a lot of stuff there. So what was the whole story about that? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know, I'm a, I'm a designer and I'm also an educator. And so when I was coming home in 2008, 12 years ago, um, 13 years ago now, um, it was seeking to create an education uh, venue where, you know, the design challenge at that point was, can we create a community center where we can all come together to collaborate on a new future? And, and so I was fortunate enough to find a historic, an empty 140-year-old farmhouse and a dirt lot um, in a fairly urban, suburban environment of San Juan Capistrano. So it's a historical community, agriculture at its roots, but really the, the, last, the last remnants of it were just barely hanging on. So empty farmhouse, dirt lot, and then the surrounding uh, was a 28-acre was kind of conventional organic wholesale operation growing a couple different ingredients. So we were not on the, on the farm for the first 10 years, we were one acre, that dirt lot that I talked about in the empty farmhouse. And so it was really about community engagement and education, you know, workshopping, permaculture design courses, working with farmers and chefs and putting those relations together. So we were really like a conduit for connection and, and, and awareness building. Um, and it was it was an amazing uh, it's been an amazing run and, and, and evolution from literally nothing to every year has been exponential growth in terms of impact and opportunity for our organization um, in the place that most people were betting that we weren't going to succeed um, of Orange County. So it's been it's been a, it's been fun and, and we have an amazing community around us um, and and uh and a lot of a lot of change making work that's happening. A lot of offerings, like you said, and and um, you know the the big the big kind of evolution for us in our organization was two and a half years ago um, when we went from one acre to twenty eight acres. Kind of just before the pandemic, the city offered us to take over the the last farmland that was at our at our boundary, and so it was really a coming home for me. Which is you know I've designed dozens of farms, and this was the let's design the dream farm of all the things that we've been talking about on this, in this conversation, but that fits to this ecology and to the needs of the community. And so we built um, a pretty radical agroecology, which is really uh, the foundation is agroforestry. I still believe in perennials as a, as a core foundation to growing food. So there's a lot of fruit, um, um, a lot of tree crops, um, but it's also a, a diversity of fruits, vegetables, and flowers that, um, that is kind of dancing that, you know, it's not, um, just for fun. It's really, this is a production, you know, it's a, um, you know, we have 25 farm employees, for example, we're growing food for 750 farm share customers and another, you know, you know, 75,000 customers annually out of our farm stand. Like it's, we're in the middle of town. And so this, you know, the 20 acres of production is happening at, at, 
um, very intentionally, very with stewardship at the core value, but it's also like we're, we're growing food. You know, it's like, it's pretty cool oh, yeah. to put those two together and you don't see that very often. Yeah, no, I bet not. So what were some exact needs of the local community there that you guys were hoping to answer, especially, I mean, after you got 27 more acres of land, I mean, that's a pretty big jump from one to 28. Yeah, it was a, it was a big jump, you know, and, and, and sort of right at the pandemic too, you know, so we, you know, I'll answer your question first around what, what were the needs? I mean, I think I'd like to articulate that the, I like to think that the needs of our community is, is, is high quality ingredients. Um, that wasn't, mm. there aren't, there aren't local producers here. And so potentially like, just like your community, just like my community is that people buy their fruits and vegetables in a grocery store. And those, those ingredients have been shipped all over the world. And by and large, they have close to no nutrition and taste. Um, and so I think every community needs local producers to, to, to change that, that story, you know, and flavor. Um, and so we've, we've done that, you know, we grow about 200 different ingredients at any one time. Um, and we bring them all straight out the front door. So no wholesale, that's all like I said, farm stand, farm share. And, um, and simultaneously we donate 20% of our produce to our neighbors in need, those that don't have the same resources, um, and access to these high quality ingredients that you and I might, um, we're able to support, support our community, make sure we do our best to build equity in that food system. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're babies on the journey. I like to be honest, like we're, we're, we've got our arms around the farm and we're learning every day. Um, but we're always learning how to better serve our community and to, um, yeah, how to be a, how to further uh, expand on the vision of, of really shifting the culture. That's so cool to hear. And so when you said earlier, you're working with chefs and then local community, I mean, are you finding that they're wanting the same thing? They're wanting super high produce or super high quality produce or are chefs looking for something that might be a little bit different that they can bring to their cuisines, whatever kind of restaurant they have? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I, we, I would, you know, out of the countless people that, that shop in our, in our, in our farm, share farm stand, there's probably a dozen chefs, you know, it's not a lot. Mm, okay. um, and I don't know if that's price point, we give them a, a 20% discount, but I think it's also just where we're at in our community in terms of the, the systems change is that the restaurant tours are definitely in survival mode mm. and, and the, the systems that have been designed around them and for them around commodities and cost um, are very much at odds with our values and our price point. Um, doesn't mean that we're, we're stuff is maybe it's not price point, but it's maybe it's, it's convenience is probably the, the thing that we're at odds with that. You have to get out of your restaurant. You have mm -hmm. to get inspired and come down and like breathe the fresh air, walk the farm and grab your produce. Like, you know, we have a chef that does it every single day. Um, and not all of them have the ability or the awareness to do that. I bet. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's fascinating that you guys grew around, I mean, when the pandemic hit and I've seen so many farms like fail during this time and also kind of grow. I mean, I've seen a bunch of stories. There are some stories here in South Florida where um, right when the pandemic happened, of course, restaurants and grocery stores, they the shipments were going down. And so instead of like, you know, destroying or just throwing out all that produce, farmers in South Florida were basically giving away like huge boxes of like squash, um, potatoes, whatever. And they yeah. were giving it straight to consumers at a huge discount. And so it was cool to see 
those farmers and consumers like build relationships off of necessity. I mean, the consumers needed the farmers, the farmers needed the consumers. So have you all seen stuff like that? I mean, during the whole pandemic? Well, yeah, because we're, we're like the farm hub. Um, you know, we have a front door and we have a, a deeply loyal community that gets their basic needs from us. And that is that I would like to think that that is the future of a, a healthy farm community, which is that the farm has a relationship to the consumer directly. Um, that's what my professor always talked to me, Steve Gleesman, about. And, and the models that I've always worked under was just direct to community, direct to community. Hmm. And that's resiliency at its finest. So we didn't, you don't have to kind of, you know, by circumstance create it, but by design create it. And, and that's really, that's what's going to be the difference for the farmer, but it's also going to be the difference for the end user and the, and the, the eater. Um, and so, you know, what we saw in the pandemic was we have a lot of farm friends also that don't have a front door and don't have a direct relationship with their community because the farmer's market shut down, because the chefs shut down and where were they going to do with their produce? So they called the ecology center and we bought their produce and we packed it in boxes and we made sure that, um, the people that wanted those organic ingredients got them. And so it was a win, win, win for everyone. You know, we, we bought the produce, we sold the produce, we nourished the community and, um, and, you know, and that's just the arc of, of what we're going to try to figure out here over the, over the next decade or more is how do we all sew together as a farm community, build a farmer cooperative so that those ingredients go to the hands of the people rather than the middlemen that doesn't have the commitment towards, uh, and the same types of commitments towards, uh, sustainability, I'm talking financially here for farmers as, as, as they could, or the same commitment towards, you know, resiliency and how we design around what's the inevitable, which is there's always going to be a challenge. No, absolutely. I mean, I've started to believe that the closer the farmer and the consumer are, like the healthier both will be. I mean, first off, like if yeah. you know your farmer and you know where you're going to buy your produce, like if you're buying direct from a, um, a farmer's market, you're going to probably have a healthier diet. You're not going to buy processed stuff. You you know exactly where your food is coming from. And so, I mean, how do you think we can do that in the future? Like, how do you think larger urban areas can have more farmers co-ops that can have farms that are closer to the community? What do you think might be a couple of answers there? I think we're going to just have to have more farmers, you know, and I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, you know, which is, it's spot on. And those, that's, that's the essence of life right there. You know, that's what's rallied. Around. That's what we have human species have rallied around for, you know, honestly, countless generations. And so let's not forget that. And in an urban environment, we're going to have to figure out um, how do we put these small little micro farms, these market gardens into these abandoned acres and, and, empty lots. And, you know, and we are prototyping that, you know, we're in a suburban community, but we, um, we find these one and two, three acre parcels on school district properties, city properties, right. Mm. Communities, you know, people that are building neighborhoods and stuff there, everyone wants this stuff. And, and by and large, there is access to these little nooks and crannies. Um, and there's going to be a minimum viable size, you know, it's probably three quarters of an acre in order for a farm, to make grow enough food to make enough money, but those I think those those are going to be found. And um, as far as in other climates, I, I haven't got my head around how New York City does this stuff, but I know in, in a climate like California, there's there's definitely there's there's a will and there's a way. Yeah, I mean, if Florida and California are so unique because we have such great climates where we can grow 
12 months out of the year, at least for most of Florida, up here in North Florida in the Panhandle, it gets kind of colder, so we can only grow for, I think, like 11 or 12 months, or 11 or 10 months, so it's almost as good as California. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we've got such unique environments where we can grow so much stuff. Um, so for somebody that might be might not be used to like an ecology center like you guys, what does what does pest control look like for you? I mean, like, what are you doing for pests? What are you doing for fertilizer and all that stuff? Because I know there's going to be some I mean, inputs are really expensive. So what does that look like for y'all? Yeah, and there's, you know, we're, we're working on laying out the inputs, but we're still adding inputs. You know, we're adding compost. Um, some of it we generate, some of it we're bringing in. Um, we're adding some some fertilizers as well, um, some pelleted mixes. Um, and then beyond that, it's from a fertility standpoint where, you know, we're making compost teas and, and adding various element, uh, various ingredients to, you know, our spray program. And that's kind of like a weekly offering, you know, a weekly application. Um, so that's kind of like on the input side of fertility, pest control is a little bit also backed up on that spray program. So just trying to IPM, keeping an eye on where we're seeing uh, pest issues and then ultimately making a call on what we, how we need to move in, you know, whether it's do nothing or do something, you know, and then, and at what point, you know, is it, is it, is it, is it a, is it a quick, you know, organic spray? Um, is it, you know, is it reme and, and uh, like a physical boundary and covering up, you know, get trying to get really get the flea beetle out by making sure that they can't access any of the things we're growing. Um, or it's also trying to learn, you know, from a bigger life cycle for us, it's, um, it's understanding, it's trying to select genetics effectively and then grow the right things at the right time. So growing brassicas in the summer, it's warm here. It's 85 degrees outside right now. Like there's going to be pest pressure, you know, cool season vegetables. And so you can either fight it or we can kind of swim downstream. So we're learning to swim downstream, um, and grow, in the right windows. And of course those windows are, are changing rapidly for, for, uh, as, as our whole climate change is, is, is happening. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's an evolution, but we've seen, you know, there's our second season. Um, so we're, but we've seen so much change in the ecology. Um, mm-hmm. some of the macro pests are like, you know, rabbits and crows. And we've just seen, they're just, they're slowly starting to, um, equilibrium is 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 working towards itself you know which is as the raptors start to moving in because there's more the trees are growing up and there's more habitat and all of a sudden like it's you know the ecology if we can design it effectively that in some years ahead like it's all kind of swimming together so yeah there's there's no really ever getting away from any of these challenges as a farmer it's just trying to adapt to them and design to the best of our ability so that we have the right habitat and the right healthy soil um, and the right things at the right time. I like it. Yeah. And you touch base on something. I mean, people are removed from ag. They always think like spraying is always like the first thing you're going to do. But I mean, it's usually going to be one of the last things you do. Like you can do so much like biocontrol, mechanical control. You can remove the plants if they're infested or get like a beneficial insect, like a wasp or something. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many more tools you can do than just spraying pesticides at the first sign of an issue. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we start with, you know, on our spray program, it's really more about uh, nutrition. It's really, okay, let's, let's put compost tea out. Let's add some kelp. Let's, you know, that kind of thing and bring, bring a little bit of, vigor to the plant and see how that affects it. 
Yeah. I remember when I was teaching um, high school ag uh, was like six or seven years ago, we had a greenhouse that we had a big old hydroponic system and we had an aphid outbreak. And so we bought some ladybugs as biocontrol. We released them. They ate them all up uh, and it worked out great. But unfortunately, I forgot to close the vent in the greenhouse. And one day we came back and they all flew out. But it was a good little teachable moment. And the kids were like, well, good job. You messed that up. But we at least got to see what happened. So it was pretty funny. Yeah, you know, the life cycle of nature, there's always going to be pests and there's always predators, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just trying to find that dance and, and ideally, you know, build build the environment that's 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 the safe haven for the predators so they can stick around and, and minimize the pest pressure. Totally agree. So how do you think regenerative ag is kind of going to be the future? Because I've heard over the past decade, really, it's gotten more and more publicity, like more farmers are switching to regenerative ag, especially as more and more people are getting cautious and curious about climate change. So what do you think there? I think it's the path to, to, to a healthier future. And I think we need to compartmentalize the marketing exercise versus the practical application. Mm. Um, you know, the, every, you know, sure, the, the big brands are talking about regenerative and then the producers are kind of scratching their head because at the core of regenerative is human health and soil health. And those are two big mountains to climb for most, most producers, most farmers, one paying a living wage and thinking long-term about your workforce um, and simultaneously deeply investing in your soil such that it improves in organic matter and other features. So it's, you know, not insurmountable. Like these are all, this is, this, this has how it has to orient, which is getting the, getting the, poisons off the farm that's your organic checkpoint and then it's about stewardship and and investing in people and um and that's just it's going to take some work because most of the food that we're eating and if we're not if we're not buying food from a farmer like we talked about earlier today then we're buying food from from a producer and yes they're farmers and they're 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 i'm sure they're amazing people but by and large if you're buying it from a supermarket they're exploiting people Mm mm-hmm um, they're paying minimum wage at best. Um, and you know, and that's not how we want to move through. That's how that, that's not what a healthy food system looks like. So. so what do you think to make a more, um, healthy food system? What do you think some of these big, whether they're big supermarkets or big multi thousand acre farms, what are some things that they could kind of take? What are some ideas they could take from your operation and kind of make it to be a more friendly um, production? You know, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, so, you know, our crop plan and, and kind of blocking pattern is a big part of our rotation. So we have a four-year rotation. So I, I would invite, you know, I hope that most farmers would have some sort of rotation that starts to balance the ecology and the economy. They're not only growing the same thing over and over again, but there's a there's a life cycle um, to replenishment. Um, so that would be one step. And then, you know, the second piece is, you know, how do we invest in each other? You know, I come back to uh, this thing, our incredible farm worker community. And at any scale, how do we work towards living wage jobs for all involved in the food system? Um you know, that's a, that's a, that's a large undertaking, whether you're on the restaurant side or on the, you know, on the farm in the production side, it's, it's by and large kind of on the backs of, of immigrant labor and, and, and low paying jobs. And so, um, 
we have to think differently about that. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking about that kind of building, well, building better careers and relationships. So I saw you guys also offer an apprentice program um, at the Ecology Center. So what else is that about? And kind of what's the response about that been like? Yeah, so we have a farm apprentice. You know, I cut my teeth in uh, 20 years ago as an apprentice as well of a, of a great farm operation. And, and so that's, you know, that's a, that's a, that's part of the lineage of, 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 you know, joining the farm movement. And so we, this is our first year, very excited about it. And uh, we invited eight apprentices, eight farm apprentices into a seven month program to, to really learn the skills and, and to get that real world experience of, of being a farmer. And uh, we've learned a lot. They've learned a lot. And, and, and um, yeah, the bigger arc for us is, is how do we train up far young farmers, future farmers through apprentices and then help incubate them as young farmer entrepreneurs and then start to continue to build a network together. So that's kind of our bigger, you know, the bigger aspiration and arc within our organization is not just train them up and say good luck, but just actually try to help them find meaningful uh, work um, within the movement such that they can move the needle on, on, uh, on, the, on, the, on the shift in the culture that we're seeking together. I like so. that. And kind of speaking about that, I mean, I feel like a lot of people have seen ag and farming as kind of like not very tech based, but now there's been such a boom um, in Silicon Valley and across the country in ag tech startups and actually interviewed one today. They are making um, an autonomous weeder that zaps weeds with a laser and it's super neat. And so do you think with like agroecology, permaculture, do you think there could be kind of like a perfect relationship between those disciplines and certain ad tech startups like that? Like, do you think there could be a perfect harmony between these practices that have been around for hundreds of years and also embrace all the new technology we have? I honestly don't know. You know, all of those ideas appear to, they feel to me at odds with, with what's, you know, the traditions and, and the, and the practical applications that's real. Um, at the right scale with the right diversity. Um, mm. I'm definitely willing to be wrong, but from my understanding, you know, we're always, you know, in the conversation of technology, we're always looking to add that word appropriate, appropriate tech to how we think about this because it needs to be human centered. It needs to be ecologically oriented, right? So everything you're saying sounds like it could line up. I've just never seen technology, you know, I've never seen those types of robotics in the farm environment at the market garden scale or at the hyper diverse, you know, there's a lot of technology that can be applied on a thousand acres of soybeans, but I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. You know, we're Mm -hmm. talking about how do we grow food for the people? So it's, uh, I think that that's, um, I guess the answer is yes, I hope so. And I hope not all at the same time. Like we just can't rely on that, you know? Yeah, no, I get you. I mean, I think about a year ago, I read this article and it was talking about, um, because, you know, bee populations are decreasing. And it was talking about these researchers are trying to make little drones that take the place of bees. And I read that and thought about, well, why don't we just try to save bees? Like, why are we trying to replace them? Like, I just had a bad feeling about that, kind of like how you did. And I was like, I mean, it reminds me of that Jurassic Park quote. It's like scientists didn't stop to think about whether they shouldn't do this. Like, we should focus on bees instead of creating something that would replace them. So that's, that's is at the, this is at the root of where we're at right now is that humans believe that they're superior to all living systems. Mm. And I do not believe that as a true statement. 
Um, and so to your point, like the ecosystem services that the, the bees provide is worth trillions and trillions of dollars. Why would we ever want to replicate that or circumvent that? Right. It's like, how do we start to live with nature rather than live against it? Like, um, and that's the real question for the technologists because I think they're they're high off of their own their own substance, you know, which is they're and they're living in a vacuum, and then that vacuum doesn't include nature, and that that one doesn't seem very delicious, beautiful, or joyful, and that's not the one I want to be in. Mm, I like that. That's a very good point. I mean, yeah, like I think there could be a good harmony there, but I mean, I feel like sometimes we try to answer too many questions with technology that we could solve with 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 nature i mean i mean for example i've heard, read so many stories about like in the amazon rainforest with all the the random plants vegetation mushrooms and everything like we could solve most of the world's diseases there but we're not sure. focusing on that instead we're focusing on creating drugs and opioids that you know cause our own problems yeah it's a it's a systems issue 100 i have a friend his name is mark plotkin he's on the forefront of a lot of the ethnobotany in the amazon and it's just, you know, if we could reorient towards the realness of the world, I think we'd get a lot further. Um, we just wouldn't have certain people making exorbitant amounts of money potentially at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a very good point. Making you know, that's why billions. we come back to our, that's why we come back to our values and, and, and the ethic that we're trying to push in the world. And this is agnostic of, of, of industry. This is in all pursuits. Do we, we care for the planet? We care for the people. And we share our surplus, right? And so it's that you can be a banker and you can live under those values and you can be a steward of your community, right? And the resources. So we need to somehow transcend the the, the manifestation that permaculture isn't about farming and, 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 and having a backyard garden with a swale. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with how we live on this planet as people. Mm-hmm. I like it. And kind of leaving it better than you found it. I had an ag teacher in high school and he would always say that he'd any anytime we go, go on a trip, we'd get on a school bus or whatever. He'd always say, leave it better than you found it. And I think we definitely right. need to do that for this planet. Um, like, well, oh yeah. So last question, what do you think about the farmer consumer relationship? Do you think it's getting better? Do you think it's getting worse? Do you think things like social media are helping? What do you think there? I wouldn't say it probably just depends. You know, I think the farmers that I know in our network have a have a very healthy and, and positive, vibrant relationship with their community. You know, we're in a more urban environment, so they are going to farmers markets. They're on the menus of the restaurants and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I would say I'd say that their the attention units of focusing to support the farmer are. Uh, are going in the right direction and uh, and we get to keep doing more of that. Hey, I like it. I agree. All right. Well, Evan, this has been awesome, man. I, I can't yeah, wait to check too, out man. the ecology. I'm going to have to check your website out and, and social and all that stuff. But if people want to learn more about ecology center and all the good stuff you guys are doing, where can they go? They're just our website. That's the, the ecology center.org. Um, the ecology center.org and, uh, and come on down to our farm, San Juan Capistrano, California. Deal. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks again for being on the show and we'll have to talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Have a great day. Hey again, and thank you for listening to this episode with Evan. I had a blast chatting with him. Hope you learned a thing or two about regenerative agriculture and agroecology. 
Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. Organic growth helps us a ton. Um, and be sure to follow us on Instagram, on Facebook. Just look us up. We are Farm Traveler Podcast on all of those platforms. Uh, yeah, and you can see all of our cool posts. And also, we've been doing a bunch of videos of our interviews over on YouTube. So if you just go to youtube.com slash, I believe it's the Farm Traveler. Let me see. We're going to find this out right now with the old help of the internets. I'm going to go to YouTube, and I am just simply going to search for Farm Traveler. Yep, it is youtube.com slash farm traveler, and you can see all of our videos and stuff like that. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week with a brand new episode. Okay, bye.